Our second reading comes from the epistle of Paul to the Romans, and it's from chapter 15. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God, in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will confess you among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles shall hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. I'm currently reading a novel by Anna Quindlen called Miller's Valley. It's set in a rural area in farm country in the Vietnam War era. And the story is told by a teenage girl, Mary Margaret, or Mimi, as the family call her. Miller's Valley is about to be flooded to allow for a dam to be constructed by the local water management authority. As the negotiator visits her family's farm on a regular basis to try to persuade them to accept compensation payments and rehousing, we learn, too, of Mimi's family situation, their relationships, and, in some respects, their dysfunction. Though they are really just a regular family for whom life, in all its complexities, happens, Mimi is the youngest. She has two older brothers, one who has escaped from the valley and who has an excellent, if somewhat boring, career as an engineer. Another brother, Tommy, has been a rebel from his teen years. But when he joined the Marines and was shipped off to Vietnam, his life fell into ruins, dragging the family down with him. Mimi writes that this was an era when people still blamed momentous events on the actions of others. Her family 
and she herself saw her father's horribly debilitating stroke as a direct result of Tommy's subsequent criminal behavior. At a crucial point in the book, Mimi has just graduated from high school as salutatorian. She's secured math scholarships that will give her a free ride through her college career. She has a boyfriend who believes in her, and she has a bright career ahead of her. Her mother, a nurse, carries the main financial burden of the family. Mimi has always helped her father on the farm, and she knows how to run things efficiently. She realizes that her father's stroke means that she must stay behind in the doomed valley, take classes at the community college, and put her exciting plans on hold. Now, Quindlin has told the entire story in Mimi's voice in a matter-of-fact, almost unemotional way. The reader comes to think of Mimi as the person in the family who is the steady one, the one who cares for everyone, including for Tommy's illegitimate baby son, and who just kind of gets on with life. So it comes as a huge shock when Mimi, having fallen down one morning in the mud after doing the chores on the farm, when Mimi writes, I can still feel the water soaking into the seat of my jeans and the empty feeling I had inside that was just plain hopelessness. Hopelessness is a terrible feeling to admit to and to experience, especially in a young person. It's everything the Christian gospel seeks to counter. Indeed, many would say that the central message of the gospel is the message of hope. In my preaching studies in seminary, our professor, Casey Tomey, emphasized that whatever message we preached, whether it was a message to inspire, to teach, to comfort, to exhort, we must leave our listeners with a message of hope. Paul certainly seems to feel that the prophets inspired hope and that Christ came to both fulfill hope and to instill hope in those who follow him. Let's look at how Paul expresses this conviction here in Romans. This passage is defined by Carl Holliday as one of the three key passages in Romans. While it is addressed to a very specific group of early Christians, Roman is much broader in its scope of topics addressed than most of his other letters. And it doesn't address very specific issues with which the community is, is having problems. The overall emphasis of the argument of Romans is to clarify that the gospel is most definitely for all peoples, not only for the Jews. And Paul offers in this passage, which, which comes almost at the end of this letter, as if in summary, he offers the proof from the Hebrew Bible, which we would call the Old Testament, 
prophecies of old, confirming that the Messiah would bring salvation to all people, to Jews and Gentiles. The message, says Paul, that the people have as we wait for the Messiah, and that ultimately the Messiah brings, is hope. For whatever was written, says Paul, was written in former days. It was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. All the prophecies of old, the entire focus of Isaiah, and of our own beliefs and intentional actions, or as Paul calls it, steadfastness, all are for the purpose of hope. And as Paul makes reference to these ancient scriptures, he shows us that the message of hope reaches back to the beginnings of recorded time. Hope in times of captivity, for freedom and for possibilities of a good and fruitful life. Hope in times of famine and plague, for times of plenty and wellness. Above all, hope for the, the coming of the Messiah and for the reign of goodness and mercy when all these earthly sorrows shall cease. Paul goes on to quote from the Psalms, from Deuteronomy, and from Isaiah, a number of Old Testament texts that show clearly that the Messiah was not only to be Savior of the Jewish people, but also of the Gentiles, you and I, my friends. The message of hope in the form of a tiny, helpless baby born to a young woman who clearly knows her powerless position in this world, seems even now to us, after all these years, so unlikely, but so real. It's a message that we continue to need today, indeed that we need so badly today. The idea that from utter humility, from the direst of circumstances, a bright star of hope and hopefulness emerges. Mary could have felt hopeless. After all, her circumstances were pretty difficult. Single, pregnant, forced by the Romans to travel late in pregnancy, forced by circumstances to stay and to give birth in a stable, but she has been given the utmost in the form of news from the angel Gabriel. This hope sustains and carries her through these dark times of poverty, extreme difficulty and deprivation. She would need that great hope, too, to carry her through the terrible and tragic death of her son, the Christ. It is our responsibility as followers of Christ to ourselves, first of all, maintain that hope. Hope for ourselves and for this world. Whatever happens, Christians have within them the hope 
of the coming one day of Jesus Christ to restore the world as a place of goodness, peace, justice, and harmony. Secondly, it is our responsibility to carry hope to those who find it hard to see any reason for hope in the circumstances that they live in. Here are some ways I see that hope is carried to others in need, in need of God's sustaining love, especially at this Christmas time. Many of the elderly that I see at Palm Garden have no family to visit them, and they rely on the kindness of those who take time to visit to find a reason to continue to hope. Even those people who seem to have little understanding any longer of the reality of the world show joy and a sense of connection when someone shows friendship by taking their hand, by speaking a kind word, by giving a hug or a smile. And then one of the local businesses close to our home in Gainesville has an angel tree such as we're going to have in their lobby. They are collecting gifts for children in the Guardian Ad Litem program. These children are in the protection of the courts because they've experienced abuse or neglect, and they need the care and concern of loving people in the community to ensure their well-being. Receiving gifts, even from a stranger, can show a child that they are loved and that someone cares for them in a world that seems hostile, even dangerous. These gifts may be small symbols of hope. Then last week I mentioned the numbers, numbers of homeless people that Lon and I saw on the streets of St. Petersburg. We learned from our friend, a Unitarian pastor there in St. Pete, that his church feeds breakfast every Sunday to up to 75 people. Having worked in the past with people experiencing homelessness, I know the real deep meaning that such service has for people whose circumstances are beyond what we can even imagine. Sometimes the hope we offer is a mere glimmer, just a tiny, almost invisible glimpse of that great star of hope that shone at Jesus' birth. The visitation program that the University Lutheran Church in Gainesville runs for detainees at the Baker County Detention Center also brings these sparks of hope to people in the most difficult of life situations. I've been told that there's a real need and a real desire among these detainees for someone, for anyone, to come and visit them just to say that they are not forgotten. It's so interesting how God's purpose unfolds I don't know if God placed stories of hope before my heart this week or if my heart was simply opened by studying this scripture to hear the Christmas message. Friday on the radio on StoryCorps, there was a story from Sing Sing Prison 
of a man who served 14 years and attended a spiritual development class. Upon release, he became a prison social worker because, in his words, the visitors in that particular program brought him the hope he needed to go on in the most awful of situations. On this radio piece, he was talking with the person who led the program. And the, this man had no idea at the time how much his visits meant and how they would turn a life completely around to one of hope. And then, what a coincidence that I read in the Presbyterian Mission's Advent devotional, this offering by Hans Hallenbeck. And I'm reading now from that devotional. On the final night of my eight-week spiritual development class in Sing Sing, a maximum security prison, I brought in certificates of, of completion, telling the class we would celebrate with a ritual by lighting a candle I had brought with me. One of the men jumped up. Pastor, are you crazy? Candles are but wait, I said. My candle is a virtual candle, a candle you can see only in your mind's eye. Placing the candle, I pretended to pull out of my bag. The, the candle I pretended to pull out of my bag on a table, I reached into my pocket for virtual matches. When Anthony agreed to light that candle, I knew my wonderful students had embraced the game. When the candle was lit for all to see, and certificates had been handed out, time was up, and I was preparing to leave. What about the candle? Someone said. Just blow it out. Said another. No. Came a booming voice from the back of the room. It was Jerome, a big, strong man with a 45-year sentence. Please, please never blow out that candle. He continued in a trembling voice. Last I looked, that candle is still shining bright in Sing Sing. So finally, looking at this passage from Paul again, the words that Paul uses in these verses read like a list of qualities for a life well lived. Steadfastness, encouragement, harmony, together, one voice, Welcome, joy, peace, hope. These are the experiences, the qualities, the way of life Paul wants for the early Christians. These are the things that God wants for us, all of us. This is the message of Christmas, the message of a tiny human being born in the direst poverty to a very young woman among the animals on the straw, on the dirt floor of the barn, bringing the hope of life, life abundant, life everlasting to all humankind. No one, not one, shall be left out of this message of hope. Amen. Now let us stand as we are able 
and affirm together what we believe by saying the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> 